All right, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're new, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've kind of picked up some speed, relatively speaking, for us here in, in Hebrews. Uh, we covered two uh, full chapters in two weeks, which I think for me is record speed, but I'll slow it back down today. Don't worry. Um, we'll cover the first 18 verses here. And so if you would stand with me, I know you just sat down, but stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. If you have your copy of God's word, um, if not, if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen behind me. We'll begin in verse one. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. For since the law has but a shadow, hmm, there's that word again, of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, otherwise would they not have, have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you take, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has had offered for all time a sacrifice for a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit is also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Word of the Lord. All right. So I want to start actually with a series of questions. Keith, you can put those up. To get our minds thinking correctly here in Hebrews chapter 10. And so I'm going to read these. And as I read them, I want you to to answer them as honestly, not out loud, please, um, as honestly as you can, okay? And the first one is this. What is the single greatest obstacle to your enjoyment of God? What's the single greatest obstacle you would say in your enjoyment of God, in your affections to God, in enjoying the fullness of God? I love the songs we just sang because hopefully those prime the pump a little bit to think about these. What is it that makes you hesitant to draw near to God and to seek his help? What is it that, that, that makes, gives you pause in seeking God? 
What's the primary reason why you don't pray more than you do? Sorry, we're making an assumption there. I know, but I think it's a valid one. Why are you restrained or hesitant in your worship of God? And I don't, I don't just mean, oftentimes we think hesitant in worship or restrained in worship. We just are talking about the singing worship, right? I mean, your sum total, all of our lives is worship. Everything we do unto God is worship of God, right? Everything we do in, in, is either in worship to God or in worship to something else. So we are worshipers. But I do think, I'm not going to let you escape that easy. I do think that our singing and when we gather, right? The hesitancy or the restrainness of it. Somebody say, well, that's just the tradition I grew up in or that's my personality. Okay, let, let's set all that a moment over here. But is there something else maybe you would say causes you to be hesitant? Maybe restrained. In here, I'm not talking about, okay, I, Sam and I and Tessa, we grew up, okay, in, in, in the Pentecostal tradition, okay? So don't think I would ask this question in that church, okay? But I think we're safe here, right? We're not talking about us all grabbing banners and running around the auditorium. That's chaos. That's, okay, that's, that's, that's unbiblical. That's distracting, okay? Don't think we have a problem with that here. But maybe the hesitancy to put our hands right here. Or maybe to sing out loudly. Or, or maybe to worship God in prayer, to not pray out loud, right? What's the hesitancy there? What, what, what's, what's the root? And get past my personality or my tradition. But there's something there. Why are you reluctant to share your faith with non-Christians that you know? Why are joy and peace so infrequent in your walk with Jesus? Maybe for some of you, you'd be like, man, that, that describes my walk with Jesus. Joy and peace. And if that, I say yes and amen. Then for you, I'd say in the positive light, why? Okay, you can take those off to you. I think all of these have one simple answer found in Hebrews chapter 10. Simple, complex, beautiful, deep answer. I'm going to pull this uh, quote from a pastor and writer on Hebrews, theologian on Hebrews. His name's Sam Storms. He says this. He says, the single overriding and most debilitating factor that threatens to undermine Everything in our Christian lives and in our relationship with God is this. Big statement, right? You better listen to what follows. The failure to understand, embrace, and enjoy the full and final forgiveness of our sins. What he says is the most debilitating thing. The one thing. That renders us from, from fully enjoying the presence of God and the fullness of who he is. The, the thing that maybe keeps us shackled in that terrifying sense of like, if I really stood exposed before God, here's what he's going to see. The, the reality of what debilitates us most is this, that we don't understand. And I love that it's like threefold. Understand with our minds, embrace with our hearts, and then fully enjoy. Meaning living in light of the full work of the forgiveness that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. So whatever you answered those questions with, I bet if you kept going, and I hope that you do, maybe even in your family, or your spouse, or your practice or whatever, 
coffee conversations, that if you get to the root of it, it's that you're not walking as a believer. I'm talking to Christians here. As a believer, you're not embracing and truly enjoying the finality of the cross in your life. The confidence and the assurance that that brings, that your sins, the sum total of them, past, present, and future, have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, here's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, on a journey, sometimes you, uh, if, you, if you hike, or you, you, typically sometimes there's a destination that you're wanting to go to. Maybe it's a campsite, or it's a, a waterfall, or something beautiful that you're going to arrive at. Uh, because I can do this as a speaker, I'm going to take us to the waterfall first. And the waterfall is verse 17 in Hebrews 10. The glory and the magnitude of what Hebrews 10 says. Then I'm going to back us up, like if you will, on the journey of how we get to, to verse 17. You see, because we all, like I talked about last week, what was the word I gave you for last week, right? That you put on the top of your notes, guilt. What does the Bible say? What does Hebrews 9 say about how God deals with our, our guilt? Shame, self-contempt, all of those, they, they threaten this robust and joyful Christian life. You see, nothing serves to undermine the intimacy of our relationship with God like the piercing pain of guilt. Guilt of past sins, memories of multiple failures in our past mounting up and the darkness of shame that accompanies all that. Have you ever experienced that? You see, in other words, our fundamental problem is that as believers, we either haven't heard or we don't recall or simply refuse to believe Hebrews 10 verse 17. And Hebrews 10 verse 17 is just quoting Jeremiah 31, 34. This is the waterfall. Let's look at it. And you can put up Hebrews 10, 17. Then he adds, here's what the Lord says, the waterfall. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds. Last two words. No more. But for so many believers, the wrestle and the struggle is not believing those final two words. We live, even as believers, right? Think in understanding. I talked a little bit about the difference between forgiveness and purity and purity leaning more into purity of what, what Hebrews 9 talks about. But I want to talk about forgiveness this week. So if you're taking notes, that's the word I want you to write this week is forgiveness. Because for many of us, what we live our lives is we live our lives thinking that and functionally how our lives demonstrate that God, he will remember our sins and our lawless deeds. And we drop those last two words. That's how you live. That's why you're hesitant. That's why we don't do this or we don't do that. That's why we miss out on the enjoyment and the fullness of God. Because we believe that at some point, surely, the God of the universe will bring up all of those past failures, all those past sins, all those things that I have done rightly and that I am guilty of. Surely, they're on the front of his mind just waiting to go, Kyle, but you did this. You thought this. You are this. What's the waterfall? What's the beautiful part of this verse is that if I have trusted in Christ, if I have repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus, here's what it says about our God. That he remembers our sin and our lawless deeds no more. 
no more. And I would guess um, the reason even our Christian souls linger in this fear, in this ever-present doubt, is probably formed somehow in some way by how you've been treated in your life in the past. By a parent, by a close friend, by a spouse. And that has been the lens that you now view the Heavenly Father. To go, well, I, I know how I've been treated by this person or that person. I know that it's been leveled against me, my past, or my mistakes, my sin, by those who earthly care about me deep, the most deeply. Why wouldn't God operate that way? And to you this morning, and to my heart, I want to keep washing us in Hebrews ten seventeen, Because praise be to God, God is not like you and me. God is not like your best friend. God is not like, and as great as your best friend may be, God is not like your husband. God is not like your wife. God is perfect and holy and righteous, and his, his word is true every single time. And so Hebrews ten seventeen is true. That as you put your faith in Jesus, God remembers your sin no more. That's the waterfall. That's the, the beauty. That's what we're beholding this morning. Now, let me say a few things here. As disciples of Jesus, as Christ followers who believe in the word of God, in the full counsel of the word of God, we don't tell people, we don't look at people and we don't go, hey, hey, uh, you need to recognize that uh, you're, you're not guilty. We don't say these things, that you aren't guilty. The answer from believers, hear me, is not, hey, just look at your problem, um, the thing that you're kind of, uh, the issues that you face, that, that's, that's false guilt. Okay? Now, do I think false guilt can uh, happen? Yes, but, but hear me. Most of the time, this should not be our response. That, that, that it's false, that it's fake. You shouldn't feel that way about yourself, right? Christians, on the other hand, and this is the biblical perspective, we say that your problem isn't that you feel guilty. Your problem is this, what? That you are guilty. That's Hebrews 9, right? If you were with us last week, you, you heard that. But... Powerful three-letter word. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has a permanent solution to your pain and to your guilt. And here is the permanent solution. The blood of Jesus Christ, it brings complete and eternal, Hebrews 10, forgiveness. That your conscience can be cleaned forever. That your heart can be set free from condemnation forever. Doesn't that sound good? So our focus will be one verse, verse 17. I, I think I've made that clear to you. However, if you've been here any amount of time, you know that one verse in our Bible, any verse, doesn't live in a vacuum, does it? That's where we get in trouble, where we just like, whoop, okay, we're going to take this verse. That's where you get the Jeremiah 29, 11 craziness, okay? Like, and it's like, yes, God has a plan, plan future for me, yes. And then you realize what it's talking about when you put it in its context. I want to put verse 17 in its context. And its context is the first 18 verses that, that I just read to us. And, and so Hebrews 10 starts essentially, and if this is your first or second Sunday, Hebrews 10 really is the summation of all nine chapters that we just went through in 
Hebrews. So if, if you're trying to catch up or t- take the Cliff's notes, which I wouldn't recommend, but I know for some of you, that's what you do. Okay, so, so go read, okay, the first ver- 18 verses again. That's going to sum up the last nine chapters that took us about six months to walk through. So um, let me summarize the context. This won't take long and you'll see why. Um, so if you're taking notes, uh, Hebrews is very, very repetitive. Some of you think it's Kyle being repetitive. It's Hebrews being repetitive, okay? It is this highly repetitive book over and over again with one central theme. One central theme. And it is what? Jesus is better, okay? So all of the repetition, right? All of the Old Testament references, all of these things, remember it's to a Jewish Christian audience, right? Is pointing to this central theme of Jesus is better, okay? So verses one through four of Hebrews 10, okay? You're taking notes. Verses one through four here, the point is absolutely unmistakable. It's talking about the sacrifices made in the temple by the high priest. And what it's saying is this, if a sacrifice for sin was perfect and could finally and forever cleanse the human heart of guilt and condemnation, if it could forgive us forever, it would not need to be repeated. But what happened in the Old Testament? If you've read your Old Testament any any amount of time, what happened? They had to make sacrifices how often? All the time, right? And then obviously on the Day of Atonement. So here at this point, repetition is inconsistent with finality. All of those shadows, all of those types proved that those sacrifices weren't the substance. They could not forgive sin. You know this in your life, right? That if you have to repeat something, it's not really finished. Take in my household of five, laundry, okay? Laundry might be done, but how many of you know? It's not finished, and why do I know that, right? Because it keeps on going. Tessa's like, you don't know that. I know. You know, like, yeah, she, we, we know that, right? Because it keeps on going. But you take high school for most of us, okay? High school, right? When you get that diploma of high school, it's finished. They're not like, we know you finished the 12th grade, but we want you, some of you need to. But, but just, okay, go with him on this uh, flawed uh, example. They're not going, we want you to go be a sophomore again. No, why? Because it's finished. Here's the beauty of what Christ and what Hebrews is lifting up. The reason his sacrifice is sufficient is because it wasn't asked to go over and over and over and over again. Did you hear in Hebrews 9 and 10 how it said once and for all? Meaning his work on the cross, his sacrifice is finished. John 19, 30, Jesus from the cross. What are those words? It is finished. Now it would have been, it would have been inconsistent biblically. And with the heart and nature and justice of God for for any other sacrifice to continue to be made because it would have shown that Jesus' sacrifice was what? Insufficient, not perfect. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. But imagine this, hear me. In the Old Testament, the repetition of sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, even that one time a year that that sacrifice was made for their sins, what what was that a reminder of? Their guilt, but also something else and deeper, that God remembered their sins. That God remembered their sins and needed a sacrifice again and again and again. They weren't living under the waterfall of Hebrews 10, 17. It was something else. That's verses 1 through 4. The second thing is this um, that I want to point out in Hebrews 1 through 4 is this. 
And I've gotten this a question from some of you, which is really, really a great question. Kyle, if those, if those sacrifices couldn't remove sin or guilt, right? How in the world were people in the Old Testament saved? Great question, right? How, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Let me tell you very clearly, it wasn't by works. It wasn't through obedience to the law of Moses. They were saved by faith in that to which the sacrifice pointed. So when somebody asks you, or when you think about this question, how was somebody in the Old Testament saved? They were saved by putting their faith and trust in the one in which they had no idea the fullness of it that the sacrifices pointed to. The one that we know is the substance. We we know him as Jesus, right? They put their faith in him. They knew that the sacrifices were shadows. They knew that all these things, they were adhering and honoring the Lord and obeying him because he was the one who one day finally was going to forgive their sins and remember them no more when the one, the perfect sacrifice came. And we, as with new covenant lenses, understand that as Jesus. You see, the only thing that can take away our sins is a perfect sacrifice that God has promised. And he brought it about in Christ. Okay, keep going in here in Hebrews 10, 5 through uh, verse 10. You see, Psalm 40 is quoted here. So you can put that little, little note there. And this is where David ultimately shows that God isn't desiring. Like his ultimate desire is not the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. But God's ultimate desire from his people is what? Obedience from a willing heart. God's ultimate desire from you and from me and those who walked in the Old Testament is not sacrifice. It's not how much we can give, give, give. It's how much we, out of a willing heart, obey and long to obey God. This is 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Okay, this this is what it says in, in that verse. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Think about that. Some of you have that flipped. Some of you think what the Lord really, really wants out of you is sacrifice. More doing, more doing, more doing. No, what he wants from you is a heart that has been changed and transformed and is willing to obey him and see him rightly and thus follows him. He gives us the answer. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than to the fat of rams. What did he just link obedience to there? Listening, hearing, and I could go there a lot of places here in Hebrews 10 where it says about writing the law in the minds and then in the hearts of people. But obedience comes from hearing. Hearing. Listen, that's why I prayed this morning that God would give us ears to what? All of us hear his word. But it's not enough just to hear it and go, yep, that reverberated my eardrums. It made it into my brain, right? But know that that would lead to what? Obedience. A life transformed in light of the grace and mercy of Jesus. Hear hear me say this. To you, to us, especially uh, being a church that loves the word of God the way that we do. It is not enough for us just to go through Hebrews. Hebrews, through the power of the Holy Spirit, must go through us. 
We must hear the words of God. We must hear and see the waterfall of Hebrews 10, 17 this morning and thus be transformed by it and changed by it, live in light of it. It's not enough for us to know. One of the greatest fears we have as elders and leaders and shepherds of this church is that we are going to stand before God and he's going to go, your church knew a lot. You knew a lot. But what did you do with it? How did it change you? How did, how did it transform you? How did it cause you to love your neighbor? How did it cause you to love your spouse more? Submit to one another. How did it cause you to walk in humility? How did it, how did it change you? Knowledge puffs up. Let's keep going to Hebrews 10, um, verses 11 through 13 um, here is about the perfection of Jesus's sacrifice. And, and I just love this. And I'm going to point this out every time this is stated in any text we go through. Um, how do we know that Jesus's sacrifice was perfect? Well, Hebrews 10 tells us here in, look at it in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he what? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. I love that. If you look, and I, I, if you look in the temple, right, the tabernacle that we've talked about before, you want to know something that's missing in there? A chair. Something to sit down on. You want to know why? Because the earthly high priest did not sit down. Why? Their work was never finished. Jesus, our great high priest, he finishes his work, and here's what he does. He sits. Finality. Finished. It's accomplished. It's done. It's paid for. It's perfect in every form and fashion. And so his seated nature shows us that. It demonstrates that to us in contrast to the earthly high priest's. The inauguration of the new covenant is here upon Jesus' seatedness in heaven. All right, now let's get to, you're like, what, what do you mean? Let's get to the, let's get to the meat of this, this sermon, all right? Hebrews 10, 14 through 18. Um, there's a lot going on in this text about the old covenant and new covenant. I spent a whole sermon on that in Hebrews chapter 8, so I'm not going to rehash that. I'm going to laser in on two verses here, 14 and 17. The waterfall. First, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Let's look at this remarkable verse uh, together. For by a single offering, there it is again, a single offering, right? Not repeated, not year after year. One single offering, Jesus. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, okay? If you put your faith and trust in Christ, this is true about you. Through Jesus, he has perfected. Now, don't escape the tense there. Okay? That's past tense, right? He has perfected for how long? All time. Underline that in your Bible. For all time. Something has happened to you through faith in Jesus that is foundational to your Christian identity and life. And is this, that God, through Christ, has perfected you, made you perfect. And some of you, you're getting real uneasy right now. Just like me when I read this text, right? 
But we have to get this. That the work of our salvation has been accomplished, finished, and is complete. Nothing can add to it or detract from it. It's perfect in Jesus. Now hear me. This doesn't mean you will never again sin or make mistakes or lose your memory, right? It doesn't mean you will never lose your temper when someone cuts you off on 75, okay? You'll experience that maybe in the morning. Or that you'll never look upon someone with envy or have greed. Rather, the term perfection here, what it has in view is the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 17, that your sins have been perfectly forgiven in Christ. That you are perfect in the sense that God has forgiven all of your sins and declared you righteous in his sight and thus qualified you for acceptance into his presence. And that will never change. That'll never change, believer. It's not like, okay, yeah, I'm that today. If I have a bad day tomorrow, right? I get real, real upset on 75. Might slip. No. Perfected for all time, believer. So Kyle, how do you know that? Right? How, how, how do you know that from the text? Look at the other tense here. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This whole text answers all those questions, right? You are perfected. You have been perfected. Jesus makes you perfect. He makes you holy, righteous. However, here's who he has perfected. Those who are being sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It literally means to be made more and more into the image of Christ. So therefore, it means that we have to be something to be sanctified from. My flesh is still alive and well in my heart. That is not my identity. But I don't sin from my identity as a Christ follower, as a son of God. I sin from my flesh nature. I sin from my my heart that is still alive and well and pumping out idols. And what God's word says to us is this, is that he is faithful to perfect us and has perfected us. But he is also working in us to sanctify us and grow us more and more into the image of Christ. He doesn't go, boom, here you are, you're perfect. He goes, no, I'm making you. You are perfected, but I'm making you daily more and more into the image of Christ. His Holy Spirit is working into, in our hearts over and over again. And now we return to verse 17. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It's important for us to remember that God does remember some things. He remembers his promises. He remembers most of all his covenant to us. I mean, the Old Testament all over the place. He, it says, the Bible says that God remembers his people. But in the matter of our sins, it says that God literally, the, 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 the translation, if I could translate it, it would be this. God chooses to no longer remember. They say, well, so God, this is awesome. God forgets my sins. That's not what I said, nor is that what the text says. God does not forget anything. You and I forget stuff all the time, right? We forget stuff all the time. But forgetting comes from gaining knowledge and losing it. God does not gain knowledge. 
He is fully and infinitely and eternally knowledgeable, okay? You and I get knowledge and it slips out from our minds we have forgotten, okay? That is not what the Bible says about our God. Here it is. It is an active choosing not to remember or hold against you your sin or my sin because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's a big difference. God neither learns anything nor forgets Anything. He knows everything. So wait a minute. Can I throw a curveball at you here with a question? So God will never remind me as a believer of my failures. He'll never remind us of them. They play no part in determining or shaping our relationship with him. He will never throw them in our face. Or subtly drop hints about the ways we failed him. What about God the Holy Spirit? What about God the Holy Spirit who still convicts us of sin? Does the Holy Spirit still convict us of sin? Is he out of order? Does he, this Holy Spirit who calls us to confession and repentance, is he still doing that? And the answer is undoubtedly yes. Yes, he is. Praise God. Yes, he is still moving and convicting of sin. And here is where we have to understand something very, very deep in the distinction that Hebrews 10 and the audience would have understood. Hebrews 10 is talking both about our eternal union with God, our salvation through Christ. And also, hear me, also our experiential communion with Christ. So in Christ, and now again, I told you Hebrews was deep and you need to understand this though. In Christ, our eternal union with God, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, is set, secure, it's perfect. Those sins will never be held against us. However, God gifts us in this life with God the Holy Spirit so that our experiential communion here in this life would flourish and grow and we would still Enjoy God forever. But how many of you know what severs that? Our sin. Our disobedience. Us going away from God. Not walking in the confidence of our eternal union. What is severed is our experiential communion with Christ. And so disobedience and sin can greatly affect my communion with Christ. But never my union with him. Do you hear me? As a believer... Some of you, though, some of you take this idea of Hebrews ten seventeen, and you use it as an excuse, or you will use it as an excuse. Or maybe now that you go, man, I really like that verse, you, you're going to use it as an excuse to keep on sinning, walking in disobedience. Say, hey, I've, I've confessed. I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Here's where I want to warn you. And I want to warn you from God's word. Romans 6. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Verse 2. I'm not going to say what it actually says. I'll just read it from the text. But it is some of the strongest language Paul could have possibly used here. By no means. Emphatically, no. No, no, no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
How can you, who, 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 who uh, right, First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians five, right? It's, it's, it's. You have been made a new creation. How, how can you who have been made new still walk in the old patterns and habits habitually that you walked in before? You want to know how? It, you've not been made new. This is First John. Habitual sin is an indicator that you need to stop down and check the validity of your profession and confession of Christ in your life and in your heart. That when that is valid, when the confession and profession of faith is true before the Lord. Here, Hebrews 10, 17 applies that he remembers your sins no more. But you know whose sins he remembers well? Are those who haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those who haven't truly repented and received Christ as their savior. As their steadfast salvation and hope and foundation. Because the Bible is also clear. But if you don't receive Christ, your sins are remembered. The rejection of Christ is remembered. And listen, there is a penalty for those sins because God is full of justice. The wages of sin is what? Death. He said, Kyle, that's getting a little strong. That's just what the text says. Listen, if there's something I want to be strong with you about, we want to be strong with you about is this calling you out of sin, calling you into the marvelous light of grace and mercy that Jesus gives to us. And so listen, when you and I walk in that, listen, that's not walking perfectly like, okay, now you don't sin anymore. No, but it's a different desire when we do sin. Let me tell you, we don't run away from God. We now run to him because we know that's where we'll find grace. That's where we'll find mercy. That's where we'll find life and hope and restoration. So maybe a good little exercise for you is this. Where are you running? Where do you run in that moment of temptation or that moment you fall into sin? Do you run to God or away from him? If you run to him, my guess is you've got a pretty good grasp of the gospel. That it's actually transformed and is transforming you today. But if you run away from him or you continue to run into sin, here's what I want to stop you with and pause you with. is a word of caution to think about whether or not you have actually received Christ and plead with you. To make an appeal to you. An offer. To put death to sin. To put sin to death in your life. To walk in the freedom that is found in Hebrews 10, 17. Some of you, you don't walk in that freedom at all. Some of you believers, I want to invite you to walk in that freedom this morning. That God's not going to go someday, I got you. I knew knew you'd do that. That's not our God. There's other of you. You're terrified this morning. The guilt, the shame, the Holy Spirit is once again beckoning you to trust in Christ. To receive him wholly and fully and completely as Lord. Not to keep bringing your sacrifices. Your sacrifices of of, of self-discipline and Sunday morning attendance and all these other things. No, no, no. What he wants from you is a heart that is willing to obey him as king. Because it's coming from a heart that goes, you know best. And you love me most. 
And so um, we've got a few minutes this morning. Um, I want us just to spend some time in the presence of God. Asking the Holy Spirit to convict and to reveal, to sanctify us. You see, it's a joy when the Holy Spirit convicts because we sense, as believers, we sense and see the grace and mercy of Christ on full display. For others of you, what you need to evaluate, and I'm, I'm saying this as, as serious and as solemnly as I can, you need to ask the Lord if you've ever really fully trusted Christ. If you've ever really submitted your life to King Jesus and walked in that marvelous light where God would look at you through the lens of Jesus in Hebrews ten seventeen and go, I remember your sins no more. So we're going to spend some time in that weight, that glorious weight. Listen, I don't want us to be a church that's full of cheap grace. Easy believism, if you just say this prayer, walk this aisle, you're good. No, I want us to be a church that is fully committed, fully devoted to being in the presence of God with our hands emptied, with our hands open, going, Jesus, move. Jesus, speak to my heart. Jesus, show me so that I can run, so that I can flee from sin and run into your marvelous grace. I want us to be a church that, that quiets itself so that we can hear God's voice, not condemning and shouting, but beckoning us to himself in kindness and in love. So let's take some time. Just be before the Lord. Believer letting Hebrews ten seventeen wash over you. that that kind of love by God would cast out fear, would cast out guilt and shame, condemnation. Father, your word says that perfect love casts out fear. And so God, I ask in, in this moment, in these moments of prayer, where we've just quieted our hearts to submit them before you, to allow the Holy Spirit to move us, I pray whatever fear is grasping our minds and our hearts and our lives would be cast out in light of the perfect love of Christ his love that washes over us and allows us to stand before you and with you unashamed 
and uncondemned and free of guilt and made perfect. God, because apart from you, we are the opposite of those things. I'm the opposite of those things. So Lord, I pray that we as a community would would continue to wrestle with and continue to journey toward what it means to be honest before you and before one another. What it means to faithfully struggle in this life in the sanctifying work of your spirit. God, but there would be full enjoyment of you. There'd be full affections, unrestrained worship of you because of verses like Hebrews 10, 17. That we serve a God through Christ who remembers our sins no more. Father, I pray that even, even from this day, that we might look back, and this day is kind of like an altar for our church, where our affections and our zeal and our obedience, it's running on the fuel of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true word, the better word, that he releases us, that he forgives us fully and completely so that we might enjoy God forever. Lord, I ask that you would help us on that journey. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us each day. You'd lead us this week in that transformative power of your spirit. And Father, I pray for those in here who are wrestling with whether they really truly know you or not. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to them. God, the things that they're hiding behind or they're hiding in, the shadows, the sin, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that they would be brought into the light, they would bring them into the light, and it would be an act of mercy and grace to them because they would confess and repent and turn and submit to you forever. Lord, thank you for this community. Thank you for this church and the journey you have her on. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful and obedient for your glory. Let us live those lives this week in front of a watching world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.